You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Music lovers, and welcome back to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and with me today is Stephanie Seymour. Hello, everyone. And Rob Levy. Sup? And guess what? If you've been watching the calendar, if you've been counting down the episodes, if you were a listener from the very first episode, you know that this week is our second anniversary. This episode is going out on the day of our second anniversary, so it has been two full years that we've been doing this show, and it's been an absolute joy working with Stephanie and Rob and Anthony. So thank you all for listening for the past couple of years. We are celebrating our second anniversary by having one of our very favorite guests that we had on our first year back for a second interview, and that is the fabulous Mr. Gary Clark. Gary, how are you today? I'm excellent. Happy anniversary. Oh, thank you so much. So if anybody did not hear our first go round with Mr. Clark, I will say that Gary is a Scottish musician, songwriter, record producer. He is most known from a band called Danny Wilson. He has written and produced records with every artist under the sun that you can imagine. We interviewed him last year when the film that he scored, Sing Street, came out, and it was a fantastic film that we love so much. And this year, we are celebrating the release of the newest film, Flora and Son, which is a musical comedy drama written and directed by John Carney and featuring original songs by Carney and Gary Clark. It stars Eve Hewson, Jack Rayner, Oren Kindlin, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So... We are very excited to get the lowdown on this film, which has been up for awards and the soundtrack specifically and songs from the soundtrack has just been burning up all over the place with award nominations and awards won. And I can't wait to get into finding out the behind the scenes on this film, on the soundtrack, on the writing of the music. We're going to get into it all. So, Mr. Clark, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. I love your show. It's always good chatting to you guys. Oh, bless you. you. I really want to just start by saying congratulations on you. You won the Hollywood Music and Media Awards for High Life for best on-screen performance in a film. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that was a surprise. I didn't think we were going to get it. We were up against like Barbie and stuff. I was like, Barbie. Right. How do you do Barbie? (laughs) Barbie the Hollywood juggernaut. (laughs) (laughs) Were there any crazy uh, award ceremony stories or was it all very calm? And- it was actually very subdued. Was, really? Um, there was no alcohol on the table. There was nobody, nobody smashed anything up. It was very polite. <laughs> and, what the fuck uh, is wrong with the, these people? Come on. And I feel a bit, I don't know if I should tell the story, but I'll, I'll start it. Tell it. So I'll finish. So the presenter, there was a bit of a mix up with the envelopes and... <laughs> I won't say who it was, but he announced our win in the category before. Oh, so no. At the table going, what happens? Do we get up or 
uh, and then and the person who'd won it is actually a songwriter that I know called Jamie Hartman, brilliant song English songwriter. And Jamie, somebody must have crept up to him and sort of said, "You're on, you're on," you know. So so he got up. And it was all really confusing. And then they announced our category and we knew that we'd won it. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was no surprise. We had to sort of like, well, hey. That's so disappointing for the other people in the category who know before the category Aww. gets read that they didn't. No, and you've got to sort of, oh, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> that's rough. But hey, you won, so whatever. <laughs> I think Rob and I had a had a sort of a, a similar question for you. And Rob, that was that was to your point of you know how is it to write a, songs for so many different genres for one film? I mean, because you have like rap, rock, dance, electronica, you know, a singer songwriter. Is that a challenge, or how did that work? It's actually, I suppose, I'm kind of fortunate in the the work that I did as a songwriter producer kind of took me all over the map really and my band was quite eclectic anyway but the, mm-hmm. the writing production thing was I literally did do rock yeah. artists and rap artists and all kinds of things um, acoustic stuff and, and then I got kind of like um, Baptism by Fire on John if you think about Sing Street it was all kind of one band and 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 so it had a, even though they go through different sort of um, phases, they are, you know, it was all recorded with a live band in a studio. We knew what the sound was roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all set in the same era. Whereas in Flora, you've got so many different influences, as you say. Um, the only thing I'd say is that the series that I did with John Carney called Modern Love, there was two seasons of that. And there was different directors on every single episode, all with different musical tastes and stuff. So that was really the baptism by fire of just like, you've just got to kind of make it work. (laughs) You know, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. Yeah, I guess that was the kind of the question, because you had to work with all of these different musicians and sort of wrangling them in, which I'm assuming is easy for you because you're a musician first. So you can kind of speak the language across the genres. But I wanted to kind of ask you kind of a pivoting off that. Not only are you working with all these different musicians in your career, you you have actors that you have to get to sing. And I'm just wondering what that process was like for you, sort of having to work with actors. Many of them probably do have some musical chops, but still sort of getting them in their comfort zone and sort of like, you know, working in a different way. Mm. Well, actors are used to being chucked in the deep end. That's the one thing. I mean, even though they were... Uh, well, Joel Gordon-Levitt is actually a real musician. I think he was I in was band. thinking he must have been, yeah. He's so yeah. good. I mean, I did a Zoom with him just to kind of explore what kind of how good he was on the guitar so that I could figure out what he could do on screen and stuff. And he was just instantly like, I'm like, okay, we're not going to have to worry about you. He's totally fine. Eve was nervous. Uh, Eve Houston was nervous. She doesn't think of herself as a singer or musician at all. She did have a few chords on guitar. We got her a guitar teacher and a singing teacher. But to be honest with you, I mean, on the first Zoom she did with John Carney, she said, you know, I'm not, because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but her dad is Bono from Yes. Yeah. So My hero, for real. I love Bono too. But, but he said, uh, she said, I'm not my dad. That's the first thing that she said. I'm, I'm not like a belter singer. And John said, that's fine. That's not what we're, we're looking for. We want it to be honest and 
True. And then she did a little demo. I think it was a Taylor Swift song or something. That was the first time I heard her voice. And then I did some Zooms with her. And I was like, this is going to be fine. She's totally fine. Wow. Um, and actually, we didn't do a lot of tuning or anything like that because the whole point of this was that it felt really real. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff was, you know, the, particularly the guitar lessons on in the film, they're all completely live. Mm-hmm. No, there's no trickery involved, you know. It's it's funny that your first meeting with all of these people was over Zoom, since that's the premise of the yeah. movie. <laughs> done over Zoom, actually, it's mad. Because I was in Scotland for a lot of it when they were shooting in Ireland, and I would go in at the weekends to record them because they were shooting during the week, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. I would go in and grab vocals where I could. But a lot of the work was was going on here. And in terms of, like you mentioned, sort of working with lots of different musicians, on Flora, we had a really low budget. There's, I'm pretty much playing everything with John wow. Carney playing some stuff um, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's playing the live stuff. We didn't even have a budget for strings or anything on this. This was quite pretty low budget. <laughs> and then Apple bought it. So, right. We've done that in reverse, then we could have put the, you know, we could have ruined it with a big orchestra. I mean, I think it kind of fits, though, that it's not, yeah. you know, because the whole point of it, I mean, not to, it's not a spoiler. I don't think that Max and Flora and their band don't, they're not going to be winning a Grammy or anything. It's like they're kind of low budget, you know, and, and yeah. the same thing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his character, like they're all kind of, it's quiet and low budget. I mean, even that pub scene at the end is just a fun kind of raucous yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, so I the, the John wouldn't let it ever. It's not his aesthetic for it. You know, you don't want to leave the cinema thinking, oh, she's going to be a rock star. You know, it's, no. it's not what it's about, really. It's um, that one of the producers put this really well, actually, and I'm just going to steal it because it's so right on. But the scene where she chats to the guy outside the pub about the talent night, you can actually see the flats in the background down the street if you look at, in that, at that scene. And so in physical terms, she only comes in the, in the whole movie, she only moves a few hundred yards Mm. It's really about her emotional journey and her relationship mm-hmm. with her son, really, more than anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Was, I think the boy, the kid's name is Oren Kinlan, right? Who played Max? Mm-hmm. It, is, had he any experience with rap? Because he was really good. I thought he did well. He he was absolutely terrified. He'd never done anything. But he's such a lovely kid and he just worked like so hard. And then by the time, because we did the Dublin 07 song rap in the studio, and that's a, I was actually, no, he, he, actually, when I think about it, that's live as well. He did that live on camera. Wow. Oh, no, I'm getting them mixed up. The other way around. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the playback one is High Life at the end. So um, he'd, had, he'd, he'd had some, I know, I'm, I'm getting, no. He didn't the, the first the first thing he had to do was Dublin 07. Okay. And I wasn't even there. John was there. So wow. right in the deep end. And he got away with it. And did you write those lyrics for him or did he actually come up with some of those raps and stuff? No. The the we wrote them. Mm-hmm. 
And that leads me into a question that I'm really curious to know about, because some of the actors do have songwriting credits on some of these songs as far as like uh, the lyrics. So I want to know how much they had input into the lyrics that they were singing. Uh, quite a lot. The sort of pivotal songs for Eve and for Joseph, which is mm-hmm. Flora and Jeff, the pivotal songs were the Rooftop Song, which was called Rooftop Song Forever, and it became Meet in the Middle. Uh, mm, what a good song. Well, the, we sort of had the musical bones of that, and I'd written a some kind of sketch lyric. Uh, didn't have a chorus. We had we knew that the chords were what the chords were going to be because it actually says it in the script. It says if you don't change <laughs> right. Okay, well we know what the chords are going to be. Um, <laughs> And and then Eve basically said to John that she, Flora wouldn't say that or Flora would say this and da da da. She'd she'd started shooting by then. Joe hadn't, and and John's solution was just to get in the studio and just hash it out rather than pinging stuff backwards and forwards all the time. Mm-hmm. And that song was kind of the beginning of it because and I think the first day in the studio was the first day that she'd met Joe. Um, oh, he just arrived. Because she'd been shooting some stuff on her own beforehand. And and the next minute, we're all just sitting with acoustic guitars trying to uh-huh. finish this song. But the kind of idea of it, when you know, when people see the film, is that it's very conversational. So the idea that we could just sit together and actually do it like that in chronological order, sort of work our way through it, and sort of they could they could act it and sing it in the in the space, you know. Mm-hmm. Up really, really well, and then by we actually had it by, you know, maybe four in the afternoon or something. And then they cut the vocals, and that was it. That's what you hear on the on the thing. Um, wow, wow. The only bit that was weird was John at one point joked, "The chorus needs to be sung like maybe we could meet in the middle." And we were all joking about, "Yeah, well, that's the middle of the ocean, and you would drown and stuff." You know? <laughs> <laughs> And I just started singing, maybe we can meet in the middle as a joke. And John's like, no, that's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh, geez. Okay. Right. I just want to say super quick that this is like, I've been a fan of, of Joseph for a long time, but this is the first thing I've ever seen Eve in. And she was phenomenal. I know. Yeah. She's just amazing. I couldn't have hoped for anything better. John was unsure about Eve. Um, he's, he's known her, he knows Bono, and he's known her since she was a kid. And she'd always said, I want to be an actress and stuff. And he'd seen her in a few things where she was very straight and sort of buttoned up. And I think it was some Edwardian thing or something. And um, he just didn't think she was right. But out of courtesy, because he knows her dad and stuff, <laughs> that he would just take a Zoom call. And when he let, when he got off the Zoom call, he was like, that's Flora, you know. Because mm. she was super sassy, super sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was just like line after line, zoom, 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 you know, like bing, bing, bing. <laughs> she was great. Slightly softer than that in real life, but actually is kind of Flora as well, you know? So it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Her performance seemed very natural. Mm. Like almost that's kind of what I figured she would be like. Yeah. So. Just funny. I wanted to ask you, and this might be more of a, a question for your, your partner as well in this mess, but a lot of the film stuff you guys have worked on, the musicians tend to come from this sort of like almost 
working class amateur background and they're not like trained musicians or they're not like guys that have been in bands forever. You know, it's different than the commitments. I'm not talking about that, but is that an aesthetic that you guys are bringing to it personally, or is that just the way that the stories have unfolded? Cause I think that's part of the charm of it is these guys are sort of like working class blue collar people that want to make music. Um, even before I worked with John, cause I've done John's last two pictures, but the two pictures before that, still have that same aesthetic really you know like once even though you're talking about a really talented busker it's a busker uh and then uh begin again has a similar actually one of the one of them's a bit of a rock star and the others are amateur so i think it's john's aesthetic i don't think he ever wants to try and do like a big sort of hollywood take on the music business in fact, I yeah. think fears that it's and and again, I'll go back to I think it's not so much about the music as it is about how the people are changed by making the music or what the music means to them. And I I know that just from working with them that he often is kind of reining me in and pulling me back because my instinct having worked with, as a writer producer for a long time is that you you know try and make the biggest bestest pop song you can make and that's not what it's about so the the, the big learning curve for me is actually learning that it's not about it being the best anything it's about it being right for the film or right for the characters that's what I was totally going to ask you i mean how hard is it to sort of reel yourself in to make a song that's good but maybe that's not going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 a challenge, and the the more challenging ones are even when it's supposed to be like. There's one in Flora and Son where you see the journey of the song being written. That's the uh, the rooftop song that becomes meet in the middle. You hear Joe's version of it that she kind of fixes and stuff. So mm. instead of doing that in chronological order, we did it we wrote the actual song first and then <laughs> sort of do deconstructed versions of it. Yeah, that makes sense, I think. I um, deliberately sort of like, you know, like put bits of melody one too many times so it just gets boring because in the script, her eyes glaze over when he's doing this song. And <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, how do you make her eyes glaze over? And um, <laughs> so it was like just one too many lines that you would never do if you were writing a song. And, and I played it to Joseph, Joseph, Joe Gordon-Levitt. He says, you know, it should really just be two of those lines, you know. <laughs> and I said, I know, but we're trying to make it boring. <laughs> and he's going, I know, but I've got to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that I have loved the most about these two films, about Sing Street and about Floor and Sun, is exactly what you're talking about. It's that personal journey of a discovery of music and how music becomes so personal to these lead characters and the impact that it has on their lives. And that's the thing that I think is the most important aspect of these films is it, it's the, the whole like, you know, cliched power of music, but it's how that power like relates to a particular life and how it changes a particular life. And I think that is such a beautiful journey to, to watch. Mm. I, I Absolutely. And that is John, you know, for sure. And a lot of his movies, they have a kind of hidden 
autobiographical element to them, even if they're not completely autobiographical. Like, for instance, Flora is very much a tribute to his mum. Sing Street is very much a tribute to his brother. You know, there's there's always a kind of thread of reality in John's thing. And I think he does believe very much in the power of music to unite people and change people and talks about, you know, he'll talk about when his mom bought him a bass guitar when he was 14, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the massive impact it had on him. So there's, there's a real honesty at the heart of it, I think. And I think that's what touches people, you know. You and I were talking a while ago um, about, I, I mentioned the song Talking to You, which I, to me, I think that's like my favorite tune on the, on the soundtrack. It plays mm-hmm. over the credits. You had mentioned to me that that actually had originally a, a whole scene devoted to itself. Yeah. And that in an edit, I guess it was felt that maybe it slowed the act down. So it was decided to play over the credits. I want to know. I mean, isn't that is that difficult as a writer to sort of have your song, the the intention for your song changed? It must be hard to not take it personally, or is it just not? Uh, it's hard. I mean, the thing about that song was when I sent it to John, he almost changed the name of the film to "Talking to You." Mm. Um, he loved that song so much. Wow. Um, mm. And he saw it as pivotal to the movie, but the why it didn't work was. And, you know, it was in and it was out and it was in and it was out. Oh. You know, so I I went through all the various emotions of it because I love that song as well. And it's one that I did on my own. So it's kind of very personal to me. But the um, I absolutely get why it didn't work. And that is that when you put that song into the last act, it made the whole thing about, Flora and Jeff, and it took away mm-hmm. from Flora and Max. Yeah. That, that was the reason it went on the end. And ultimately, it was the right decision. So you, you kind of just got to look at the bigger picture, really, um, even when it, you, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't affect you. You go, oh, really? Yeah. But it's bigger than the song. <laughs> it's the whole right, it's the movie. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense, actually, now that you explain it mm-hmm. about, yeah. and of course, the 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 core relationship that really is the is the movie is Flora and Max. So, yeah, and and you know, obviously, I got to see it in there. I saw cuts with it in, and um, it was kind of happening just before the pub scene. Because if you remember, he he says to her in the park just after the kids gone through the whole thing of. He's getting sent to correctional facility and stuff. Um, and she's talking to him on the laptop in the park. And he says, I've written a song for you. Mm. So that the obvious place, it has to happen after that. And the only thing that really happens after that is that goes to the to the song at the uh, end, the pub song at the end, um, highlight. Right. So it really made you think, are they going to get together? It really put a lot of emphasis on Jeff and Flora and then kind of weaken the whole thing with the the mom and son. And I think that's really what the film's about, you know? Yeah, definitely. Sort of just talk about how you met John. I know we've had you on a couple of times, but we never actually talked about you guys and how you started collaborating and how you got together to make music. Um, It was Sing Street was set in the 80s and was really based on John's story of forming his own school band and his brother 
turning them on to records and bands and stuff. And one of the records that his real brother in real life had actually played him was my band's first album. And, oh, wow. And so he was calling people that his brother had played them their music and stuff um, and asking them to do a song. I don't know who else he called and how much he got back or whatever, but when I sent him a song, he really loved it and phoned me back like the next day and just said, do you want to come on for the whole movie? Whoa. I was like, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really where it started there. And also in that film, I started really as a sort of songwriter, but as we started to work on it, you know, I, he, I guess he saw me working with Ferdi, the actor, and then I did a string arrangement and it sort of grew organically through that. So yeah, handle on like, you know, that I wasn't just a songwriter that had my production stuff and things, which is then when he asked me to do Modern Love. And we've kind of worked together ever since that. Not that I take that for granted, because I don't. Was, was that a big career shift for you? Sort of, I know you'd written songs and stuff for other people and done your own stuff, but then suddenly having to sort of transition to films and then eventually the stage. Was that a hard transition to make or was it just sort of like it's all kind of the same? You're just uh, doing it in different ways. I almost felt like it was meant to happen. Um, it was something that I always loved. Didn't know how the heck you get into it. I mean, but film and music has always, I mean, the f music amplifies the film and the film amplifies the music. And I mm -hmm. even loads of my song titles have got bits stolen from films and always been kind of, obsessed with it and buy as many soundtrack records and s scores and stuff as I do rock records or whatever. But I didn't know how to get into it. So when I got the call, I mean, it was just, I, I mean, I had done one song before for a Ewan McGregor film called Nightwatch. That's ages ago. And oh my God, yeah. I got commissioned to do one song. That was when I was in a band called Transistor. Um, and then I've had a lot of songs placed in films, but they're songs that already existed or were out in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, it's completely different, somebody asking you to to contribute something to the film, and then when he asked me to do the whole film, and then it sort of grew into score and all that stuff. It was, it, it was amazing, and it still is amazing, and I absolutely love the combination of film and music so it's it's just a joy that's it's still got to pinch myself because of the thing about film is it takes so many people and moving parts and so much money and all these things to make this thing you know yes um, whereas a record particularly because i i've always had home studios and stuff like i can make a record very very quickly and very very cheaply you know a film you're no longer I don't know what the word is really. You're you're sort of subservient to the whole thing. It's it's kind of what we were talking about a minute ago, really. But you you have to sort of be able to go, yes, even when you think that's a mad idea. And you basically have to. There's so many other problems going on that if you were causing problems or creating problems, you would you wouldn't last very long. So it's about solving problems and drawing on everything that you've sort of been through to kind of get it right for the director, really, first and foremost. On a, that same kind of note there, you were saying that, I mean, I was, I was telling you how I saw the film 
it sort of reverberated with me for a few days and I kept kind of picking up different meanings and I was just, it just meant like I was sort of interpreting it in my, what it meant to my own life. And you said that when you're in the middle of it, like when you're in the thick of making this and you, you don't have the feedback, you know, right away, you don't know if your ideas are good or not. I mean, but now that so many people obviously have reacted positively to the film, you, you feel some validation, but it must be a little bit hard, right? When you're in that bubble almost to know what's real and what's not, or, you know. It's impossible. And actually some things like, for instance, High Life almost hit the cutting room floor at the last minute. Like there was Whoa. a few producers weren't sure about it. And then others who thought it was really amazing. And John loved it. I loved it. So, you know, there was a bit of a tussle to whether that was going to, but there was really talk about writing a, a whole new song really to what quite late in the, in the, proceedings hmm. and that's been getting an amazing reaction so you just you, you, know, you literally don't know and I guess other people don't know either <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you know it's you just try and do something that you love and and hope people are going to love it but the, but the other thing that's amazing is because the songs sit in a story you've got the story to help them get into people's consciousness as well you know or get into people's hearts or whatever however you want it's not just an isolated thing if you heard that song on its own it might not do the same thing to you as it does when you know you've had this journey to get there on the screen right like an emotional thing from actors and you know it's like all mixed into one and it tells it furthers the story yeah and hopefully the songs further the story and the story Yes. Does the same thing for the songs, you know? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the actor's journey in this movie? And, you know, we've talked about the characters and how they react to the music and how they evolve over the course. But can you talk about the actors? Um, when they first come in, it's an acting job. When they leave this film, how how did this experience change them? And do you can you see a way that they started to become more active in it or to be more passionate about it as the project went on? Well, it's funny because I think Eve's the one who's probably the most changed by it in the sense that she's been playing guitar and stuff every day and continued singing and doing singing lessons. And Oh, good. You know, oh, she, she really did not think of herself as a musician or a singer at all, you know, whereas, you know, Joe... They're still making music. Joe was saying that his kid makes music. I just saw him last week, actually, and he was saying that his eight-year-old kid makes music. So he spends a lot of time recording his kid and writing oh. with them and stuff. Oh, that's really sweet. But he all, he already had music very much in his life, whereas um, Eve probably actually going against the family business. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and I was kind of wondering about that. If that's, if she didn't see herself as a musician or a songwriter or whatever, is that simply reaction to people's expectations of what she would turn out to be, you know, is she not rebelling, you know, but finding her own path. Definitely. Yeah. And actually, you know, now that I've, because I hadn't seen Bad Sisters and stuff. I don't know if you've seen Bad Sisters, but it's really great. That's a, a Sharon Horgan's the d director or writer of this series that Eve's in, and she has quite a big part in it. 
Um, and I hadn't seen that when we, when we did the film and I went back and watched it and, um, I, you know, you can see in that just how good shit is as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's clearly just got the talent gene and I, I don't know if yeah, she's deliberately went against, cause you know, her brother's in a band. I'm going to forget the name. Yeah. But the, yeah, absolutely. A really good band. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. They're actually really blowing up at the moment, actually. They're doing, I've, I've just got a blank on the name, but they're playing big theaters and stuff now. Yeah, they had a big buzz. I remember that. Yeah. That's a cool family business. Yeah, exactly. I should be a plumber then. <laughs> no, please stick to songwriting, Gary. <laughs> we yeah, love it. Really? <laughs> Let me plumb your bathroom. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Plumbing can be a nice backup in case this music lark ever just falls through. Yeah. <laughs> He's like drowning. <laughs> you know, the, the people out there, if you haven't seen the movie yet, please do. It's streaming on Apple. Listen to the soundtrack as well because um, it's great. But either way, you will jo- Joseph Gordon love it. <laughs> you will Joseph Gordon love it. That is available. I wonder if he's heard that before. Oh, I'm sure. Rob. <laughs> and and certainly when we come up to award season and you start seeing this thing on Grammys and on Oscar yeah. nominations and things like that, you will already know the film and already know the soundtrack. So get on it now. Yeah, get on it. So is there another possible film coming from you and John later down the road? Yeah, there's John's kind of sent me a couple of different ideas and then he has a kind of abstract idea that he really wants to do something set in the disco era. Um, oh, yes. But he hasn't found the story yet. And it's interesting because I actually know some people who were in disco bands who live around here um, who actually made it onto Top of the Pops and stuff in the 70s. And I've sort of said to John, why don't you come and just talk to them about their experiences? It might spark yeah. them, you know? yeah. But um, he did, he loves that music and he really wants to do something in that world. But then he's got other ideas that are more story-based, but they're, again, they're musical things. Um, again, mm-hmm. as I say, I, I, don't, I don't take for granted that I'm necessarily going to be the person that he calls to do these things. But if he does, then I'll be there <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I know that there's another upcoming project that Stephanie wanted to ask you about. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been hearing about the Nanny McPhee musical for mm. a while with with Dame Emma Thompson, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you are co-writing the lyrics for it. So, how is that going, and what's 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 going on with that? Well, I'm getting up at five a.m. tomorrow to go to London to do a, another workshop on that. Um, oh, we my. are really close now. Um, we have a director. We have funding. We have producers we have most of the songs i would say a good chunk of the music quite a lot of the actors have done numerous workshops now so we're kind of really starting to hone in on who's brilliant at what parts and stuff excellent so i i would i mean the goal is to get it on stage next year probably london's the most likely. I mean, they may do sometimes they do something out of town just to get it up on its feet and test it out, you know. So they yeah, may- you mean like put it somewhere rather than like just West End uh, right away 
Yeah, mm-hmm. they might do something in some, I don't know, Glasgow or Portsmouth, mm-hmm. something like that. They sometimes will do a, a few weeks just to um, get all the kinks out, really, when not in front of the, the West End audience. But the but the, the obvious goal for it is to get it on the West End. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. hopefully onwards and upwards from there. Okay, good. So that's coming along very well. It's, it's, I'm really can't wait for people to hear it. It's been a seriously long journey through all the pandemic stuff and everything, but just theatres really, even more than film, I'd say there's so many voices in the room that mm-hmm. have to be really flexible, even though I felt for, right from the beginning, I've had a really strong idea about what this music should sound like. But there are so many, what I consider to be some of the best songs have hit the cutting room floor for the, for the same reason we were talking about the films, you know. It's the, right. You change the script. You can't go like, don't change the script because I love that song. <laughs> I mean, you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a script writer and I say no. <laughs> so there's there's been so many you know, just ups and downs to get to get it to where we're at now. And I think it's, we're so close now, it's ridiculous. Wow, that's good, because last time you were on, you were talking about this, you know, and it was just like a, a long process even then, so. Mm, yeah. In, and yeah, it's, it continues to be, so. Yeah. One of the big challenges that's really, really we'll go, it'll be interesting to see where, where this lands, but we had two big opening numbers and everybody, all the musical theatre people have been saying to me, you can't have two big opening numbers. I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and, and this is actually for years. They've been cutting one and then using the other one. They've been blending them together. They've been cutting the other one and then, you know, and it's, Mental. And then I just reworked what was originally the second of the two songs. When I say reworked, it's actually closer back to the original from five years ago. <laughs> but I got an email this yesterday saying that the director has an idea to use both the songs again. And that's the <laughs> oh, there you go. So we'll find out about that in the next couple of days. <laughs> Very nice. But I don't know. I mean, that's what happens. I get excited and then they cut it again. They'll probably cut both of them. (laughs) (laughs) We did another big opening number. Back to the drawing board. Last time you were on, we asked you a few questions about some of the artists that you had worked with as a songwriter or producer. And I remember specifically asking you about Julia Fordham, who I'm a big fan of. Mm. I'm curious. I don't think I asked you last time about the song Cold by the Veronicas. Can you talk a little bit about that collaboration and how that came about? Uh, the Veronicas. How did I meet the Veronicas again? Because I did a lot of stuff with them, actually. And they went yeah. through a... They went through a period. They were spending a lot of time in L.A. when I was in L.A., and we really loved working together. I think we did about, I don't know, nine or ten songs, maybe even more. But they kept, basically, their A&R kept changing. Like, they had something. Mm. period that I was working with them, which was maybe about three years, the A&R changed four times, I think. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing. It didn't even get dropped, you know? Songs, yeah, and it didn't get dropped. Um, wow. But then they ended up going back to Australia, and Cold was really 
one of the only songs that something else with him, I can't remember. But Jessica was dating Billy Corgan. Oh, nice. And he ended up playing guitar on it. And it's exactly my guitar part. So I was like, wow, Billy Corgan played my guitar part. (laughs) (laughs) He does it well, though, to be fair. Oh, I'm sure. But um, yeah, that was one of those ones where that was a kind of a, I didn't know if any of it was ever going to come out. Um, But there were some great songs. So they may come out in the future. Mm-hmm. never know yeah I loved working with them they're so talented and both of them and, and I found this in general with Australian artists for some reason I think there's a very strong live scene in Australia so you have to be able to cut it on the mic and they really give 120% you know it's just you, when they finish a song you look at them and they look like they're just about to die because they've given yeah. absolutely everything you know great singers do you ever miss life in a band? No, don't, no, I don't. I mean, I love making records and I sort of don't get time to do that. When I say I don't, I do, but it's for other things, you know. Right. Um, I don't get to do my own records because um, I just don't get time. Um, so I would say I've slightly missed that. Um, and, you know, I... Occasionally, I'll come up with an idea for a song, and I'll know that. Well, that would, if I was making a record, that would be for me. It doesn't really, it wouldn't really fit anything else. Um, and so, I've got an, a bag full of those starts. You know, I don't finish yeah. songs until I'm kind of ready to record them. Actually, interestingly enough, I just oh my god, I'm, I'm all songs around for ages. But then, I, when I'm ready yeah. to record them, I go, okay, I suppose I better finish this now. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're not working on a film or working on Nanny McPhee or working on songs that might end up being something for yourself or whatever, what do you do to unwind? What is some of your music or movies or books that you enjoy recreationally? You know what? I get it's probably as eclectic as my music, my taste in all of that stuff. But actually, I like doing things that get me completely out of thinking, away from thinking. Like during lockdown, I got into building guitars and stuff and wiring guitars. And 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 the thing about it, we're just sitting with a solder and iron. You, you, that's the only thing you're thinking about, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody needs those things that you just, even if I go for a cycle or a walk or something, I'm still in my head. Whereas yeah. if you got to solder this little bit of wire to this thing, <laughs> then, I, you know, for, it's like meditation for 10, for whatever that half an hour or hour or whatever it is, you're just not thinking about anything else. And that's kind of like, that's how, what I actually do to unwind. Yeah. So out of curiosity, all the guitars that we see behind you in your office, how many of those are ones that you built? Uh, right there, right now, four. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. One of them was a Mexican guitar that I just tweaked. But I've tweaked it. The only thing that's left is the neck and the body, but the, the rest of it's. But the other ones are sort of the like parts casters, I suppose. Yeah. Get all the best bits of stuff and wire it all together. You and my husband could start a business together, guitar building and selling business. Because <laughs> I'll just smell the solder coming up from the basement and I'll be like, I know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, just in case that plumbing side business yeah. doesn't doesn't work, exactly. guitar building is where it's at. 
it's great fun. And then you get a guitar at the end of it. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I should get into building drum sets. Yes. We are going to take a very short break. We'll be back in 30 seconds and we're going to wrap up our show with Mr. Clark. So don't go away. All right, monkeying around, start talking. About your podcast. We talk about an Emmy-winning comedy series. We talk about a band who outsold the Beatles and the Stones in 1967. Still sticking to that story, huh? Well, if you know what's good for you, you'll change your tune. We talk about a groundbreaking multimedia project. That inspired generations of artists and fans. All right, throw the book at them. This book is overdue. Monkeying around, a podcast about the monkeys. Okay, we are back. And Mr. Clark, why don't you tell us a little bit about where people can find Flora and Son and where they can follow more of you on either socials or websites? Thank you. So um, I'm Gary Clark Music, one word, pretty much everywhere. So Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff, Twitter. So it's G-A-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K-M-U-S-I-C. Um and uh, Flora and Son is now an Apple film. So it's in uh, select theatres, but it is already streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, and I would suggest you go and watch it. Yeah, we definitely suggest that too. And by, by the soundtrack. Well, that's on... That's on um, uh, you know, all the streaming platforms. The one thing that I'm doing at the moment, actually, the thing that I was just mixing before I came on, is we have, in the movie, at the end of the Meet in the Middle song, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt says, all we need now is a bridge. And they talk about what a, what a bridge is, a middle eight, uh, eight mm-hmm. hours. Of it. And John thought it would be fun to actually write that. So we've written a bridge for it. And we've just recorded. Actually, we had, we had a better budget for that than we did for the rest of the film. It's actually got <laughs> the bridge for one Real drums. Um, and I'm just mixing that at the moment. And we're going to add that to the soundtrack album, the, the version with the bridge. That's cool. fantastic. And, um, yeah. That's really cool. Well, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you once again, and thank you so much for helping us celebrate our second anniversary by coming back on and letting us interview you a second time. It's always my pleasure to chat to you guys. Hey, maybe we'll have you on for our third anniversary too. Hells yeah. I like it. (laughs) Or after the musical drops. Yeah. Yeah. After Nanny McPhee hits, we'll definitely have you back on. So the last time you were here, you had a really funny story about you know, Emma calling you on the phone and you didn't believe it was Emma Thompson. Uh, Right. Do you have any more stories like that for us this time to sort of leave us on? Um, I've done enough. I've told you this one, but it's pretty good. Like my wife, Alison likes to keep my feet on the ground. And, um, for years and years, I've thought of myself as a songwriter. I even had it on my passport and I thought that was really cool. And then, um, (laughs) and then when I went into, the first uh, workshop on Nanny McPhee, and Alison came in with me, um, Emma introduced me to somebody as this is our composer. Oh. I'm thinking, oh, I'm digging that. Yeah, and, and Alison whispered in my ear, is that short for complete fucking poser? 
<laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Oh my god, Allison for the win. <laughs> oh man. I likes to keep my that feet is, under the ground. That is killer. <laughs> but it's funny, I've since um you know, doing this I've like I was, I was at the Nashville Film Festival and there was a an SCL, which is a composer's kind of, I don't know what you call it, like a thing, um, gathering thing. And I met a bunch of composers and I was standing at a table with like six or seven other guys who did that. And I told them that story and nobody had, <laughs> nobody had ever heard it before. They were just like absolutely floored. <laughs> I think oh, it's that's- probably going to go into the, into the um, vernacular of. Yeah. You know, right. she's created a, she's created it. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> All right. All right. Stephanie, why don't you tell us where folks can find more about you? Okay. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour music. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. And I also have a website. There are birds.com. And you can find me on Bandcamp under my name and then on Spotify and all the, you know, streaming platforms everywhere. All right, Rob, hit it. So uh, you can find me on Mondays from 6 to 8, Greenwich Mean Time, 12 to 2 Central, 1 to 3 Eastern, uh, with antics on Louder Than War Radio. It's internet radio uh, based out of Manchester, England, uh, run by the maniacally brilliant uh, John Robb. Um, who's insane uh but that's on you can listen to that all the shows are archived on on their Mixcloud page there's uh 36 of them now so you can listen to those and then also i host juxtaposition on kdhx on wednesday nights from seven to nine central those are also archived for two weeks at kdhx.org sweet and you can check out my website at cosmiccreative.com k-o-z-m-i-c creative.com all right that wraps it up for our second anniversary celebration which we spent with Gary Clark. Gary, once again, thank you so much for joining us. We love you. We can't wait to have you on again. It has been an absolute pleasure. Happy anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Everybody take care. We will see you next week. If everything goes as planned next week, we're going to be continuing our second anniversary celebration by a revisit with the amazing Gina Shock of the Go-Go's. So stick around for that. Everybody take care, have a great week, and keep rocking on. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.